You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. The Trek Files, Season 9, Episode 9, Star Trek The Next Generation, Draft Distribution Lists, 1989. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans, all you Star Trek historians. Hey, Canonist, as I say that lovingly, look, all of you, you tech heads too, even. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Everybody who can call themselves a Trekophile spell with an F, uh, I'm so glad to come back. I'm talking about a, we have a special topic this week, something that we, we just assume we all know about, a person that's connected to Star Trek, and really, um, that's an oversight, because we do need to talk about uh, the late, great Michael Piller, especially with those who knew him, uh, and knew him beyond just the writer's room. All right. So I'm going to welcome back a special guest this week. You right now, there's a story to be told and some very simple documents are documents this week. You know, they're there at facebook.com slash the Trek files where they're always stored. Well, here's an audio sample <laughs> of a little bit of an unusual set of documents. Take a listen. But, you know, you can see them there on the page. Whatever you do, you want to hang on and come back when I have our special guests back with me this week. Survivors, formerly known as The Veiled Planet. Final Draft Teleplay, July 27, 1989. Distribution, Gene Roddenberry, Michael Piller, Rick Berman, David Livingston, Mary Howard, Hans Beimler, Richard Manning, Melinda Snodgrass. All right, Trekophiles, spelled with an F. Uh, some, we've done this before. It's an unusual way of getting into our topic this week. Uh, do you get the chronology there? The audio was from the third of three. They called these bucks, and, and you're seeing it as a full-width page, but really they were a half-sheet attached to the top of the distribution list. The, this is the list to distribute scripts early on. Only the names you see on that buck are the people getting this early draft because the whole company doesn't need to... Nobody's designing sets yet until the script's solidified. And uh, they tell a story, beginning a third season, if you're not familiar with it, how quickly things changed. The next generation that we came to know after two years of chaos on the bridge and the departure of Maury Hurley as the showrunner, the head writer, under Gene Roddenberry... And for about a month, a producer friend of all these people, Mike Wagner, was there. And a certain person was one of the first people that submitted a freelance script in the writer, a professional writer. A guy by the name of Michael Piller, who, as it turns out, was there, was the first call when Michael Wagner decided to leave only after about a month. And I love these bucks because they have the chronology right there. May 31st, July 24th, and then boom, look whose name's on the distro list. It's Michael Piller. And who else to talk about Michael Piller and uh, this time in his life and for the years afterwards than his son, Sean Piller. Sean, thank you. It was, it was great having you on before, but I wanted to have you come back and, and talk about Michael. So thanks for joining us again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, so we were laughing before your earlier visit about, uh, well, laughing, but also observing, reflecting on the recommendation letter that Gene wrote for you as a young man. You were, we were talking about how you were this same time. This is a couple of years before that. So you grew up in a Hollywood family, um, in a, you know, TV entertainment related family. I don't know where your savviness and awareness and where the, you know, the teen rebellion against, we were talking against dad and his work. But, <laughs> you know, do you remember this time in your dad's life uh, when he would, he had worked on series before as a staffer. It wasn't new to that. Yeah. But uh, yeah. when Star Trek happened, do you remember what that was like? I absolutely do. And it, I, I told the story that I used to watch Stay Up Past My Bedtime, which was 11. And I think Star Trek came out at 12 with KCOP. And, and I would put my towel under my door so my dad wouldn't see the light coming out from it. And this was over, we lived on on in, uh, in on Martell off of Beverly. And uh, he was working, he was uh, show running uh, Miami Vice at the time. Okay. And him no and I, slouch of a job there. No slouch of a job. Um, but he, him and I had started, it was that time in our life where you, you start to get older and want to hang out with your friends and I have a car. And, um, and, uh, so he knew I was a big Star Trek fan and it was season one of the next generation was starting. And so we started watching that show together. It became a show he would tape for us and it became a real father son connection. And, and I, I would joke with him. I'm like, you're kind of like Patrick. You're kind of like Picard. You're a little uptight, bald. Other than the British accent and the military thing, it's pretty much you. And uh, and he would be like, mm, yeah. Well. And so he uh, <laughs> he the date you just mentioned. Uh, I think he's told this on camera before, but he was unhappy or not necessarily um, fully engaged in going back to Miami Vice for whatever reason. And I remember him saying, they're paying me a boatload of money and it's the most money I've ever made. And, um, and we were, that was another show I was a fan of. Um, but he really wanted to, I think he just became a fan of Star Trek and ended up writing a spec script and not telling his agent or telling me. And um, he gave it to his agent, who's now my agent, Rob Rothman, the Rothman Brecker, now Rebel Agency. And they, um, and his agent said, you can't write a spec script. You're a showrunner. You're an executive producer of a TV show. Pretend you didn't write it. And call, I'll call Gene Ronmary uh, or Rick Berman, whoever there, and just, you can go pitch it and they'll pay you to write it. He's like, I already wrote it. It's done. I wrote it for me. I didn't write it for money. Um, I wrote it because I want to write my own thing, right? And uh, against his advice, and it was literally the day my little sister was born, uh, which was um, wow, July fifth. He on his literally on the way to the airport or to the hospital to 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 meet my little sister Brent Pillar. He had this talk with his agent, sent the script over, and uh, they sent it to Gene Roddenberry and, uh, and Rick Berman and the gang. And a couple of days later, a couple of weeks later, uh, they called him and said, how would you like to take over Star Trek? And he said, <laughs> oh, and absolutely. Way, we'll buy your script. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. I always ask him, did they, did they buy your script? He's like, oh, they bought my script. And uh, they gave me the show. And then he hired Ira Bear and he started building the crew and Ron Moore and mm -hmm. uh, Renee Echeverria and, and uh, Brandon Braga. And he, he told me that he, you know, it's like, it's like a base. I'm like the, I'm like a baseball coach who's building the best baseball team ever. And so Brandon is, and I would ask him like, what are these guys like? He's like, 
Brandon is the, is the time travel guy. Like he's, he's great at this. And Ron Moore's the family guy. Like he loves to write these personal family things and everyone had their little niche and, and, and him and I would always watch baseball together. So he would equate it to me as what their mm-hmm. skills were, like what they were, what he would go to them for. Cause oh, it's this complicated time Ira? travel thing. Oh, Ira was his right-hand man. He brought in Ira. Uh, cause my also dad didn't, even though he watched the next generation, he wasn't deeply into the lore and the history of Star Trek yet. I think he mm-hmm. was really just responded to the characters and was like, I don't know, I, maybe I could do sci-fi. And I think he had written one sci-fi pilot, but so he really wanted someone he knew and he could trust that could help him just like, we need to write 22 episodes right now. Like, I guess he got rid of the whole writing staff or the whole writing staff didn't come back. So it was basically <laughs> the whole writing staff got rid of him. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he basically had, it was him and Ira and a bunch of kids off the street that he just started, give me every script mm-hmm. that's ever been submitted. And he started reading them and he found Ron Moore's script and said, this guy's a, get this kid in. I want to read his script. We're, here's an episode we're doing. And him and Ira kind of started just rewriting that season. And I remember him saying that between all these writers he brought in, and I'm sure there's other people I'm living up, but this is my memory of it is basically, I just remember he was very tired, but very excited. And he was literally, him and Ira were literally writing that entire season kind of themselves with mm-hmm. all these scripts that they had found. And, and maybe they were halfway through the season or maybe it was the beginning of the season. But I remember um, being very proud of it. And he was very proud of what he was doing. And, and I know he was spending a lot of time with Gene uh, learning what Star Trek was in the early days, like how to do it and how to, and, and what was that made it Star Trek as yeah. opposed to just a drama on television. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so much there. I mean, and one thing I do want to ask you, and I, we talked about Gene in that letter before he wrote that letter, talking about Gene Roddenberry's recommendation letter for you, college bound yeah. kid, uh, that he knew the father of and knew yeah. you. Uh, that was that's dated January, just nine, ten months before he passed, and he was having his many strokes along through there. Mm. His, his health really went down just mm. six months later. When wow. you when you were getting to know him more professionally here, and as you were getting closer, to, did did any of that come across to you? Did you no, have any he seemed, sign of that? No, he was super alert, very smart, uh, and quick, and uh, you know, he did. Like I said, he did lean into the poetry he might have been knowing facing his mortality at that point and realizing at the end of the day that it's about family and it's about emotion and it's about you know love and it's about you know poetry it's about the poetry he he created in his in his own world um of star trek and and with his family so i i know that that was family was important too yeah well speaking of family your your dad here our, our main topic that it sounds like with your little towel blocking the light under the door story there, it sounds like you were the much bigger Star Trek fan than your dad was at the beginning. Oh yeah. And and he to him it was a show that he's watching, you know, on the nose, on the face of it. And, and like yeah, you said. Why well, I, I like to take credit for my dad getting into Star Trek. I do it all the time. I'm like, if it wasn't for me watching Star Trek, he'd never would have done it. Um no, then he got sucked in. He he really liked this character and when I told him he reminded me of Picard. Um and I think Michael was a reserved mm-hmm. man. Like he wasn't a hugger until we, you know, he was, he was my stepfather. You know, I yes. had one, my, I have, my other father's name is Larry. Uh, and he worked for NASA and he just retired and he worked for JPL for, and NASA for 40 years, just retired. 
and worked on the Mars Pathfinder and the Hubble Space Telescope and worked on all these things. And, and then I had my other dad that did Star Trek. So I was I was a big fan wow. of this world. Um, yeah. And, you know, and I, I went and got a tour of, of, um, of NASA at one point and um, uh, it, it was it was fantastic. But having these two very different men in my life was that were came from one was a mechanic, one was a writer. Um, uh, but with this kind but, of common link in a weird way. Yeah. 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 And 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 uh, Michael, you know, we wore him down. He was not a very <laughs> effective. He was like Jean-Luc Picard, didn't like Wesley Crusher. Just don't hug me. Like he was just an mm -hmm. uncomfortable. He was like a writer. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. what he was. He he was more comfortable with the characters on the page uh, than he was with physical affection. He didn't like going to parties. He didn't like Hollywood that way. He just wanted to be with his family and write. And he would escape in this room in the chair I'm sitting in right now. This was where he'd wake up at five in the morning um, and come in and bang out scripts. And I would, uh, I was such a fan of it once we was on the show. I would actually, he would have rough cuts of episodes before they'd air. Uh, and so I would watch rough cuts, which I didn't know was training me to do what I do now. I would watch rough go. cuts of Star mm -hmm. Trek episodes with blue screen out the window before they had put in the effects. And then I'd watch the episode again when it was finished. And then I'd watch it again on the air with my dad as a family. Mm -hmm. And so it became a motto for us. It was like, if my mom cries, it was a good episode. And so... <laughs> And that became the litmus test going forward was this, when I would go to Vancouver doing the dead zone, I would do the editing and do the episode and then send it to my dad who would watch it with my mom. And he'd look over if she was crying, he'd email me and I'd say, mom cried. Good job. Great. And then <laughs> I would go down to the floor on the dead zone. I was like, Hey everyone, mom cried. And they all go, yay. We got her. <laughs> and then it would awesome. like go back. Cause so your mom is a goal. singer, songwriter, musician. She's very empathetic. Oh, yeah. and, and has that in her DNA too. Yeah. Um, and I didn't mention this go around, but yeah, you executive produced by now, Private Eyes, most recently Haven, Greek, Wildfire, which I said included Nana Visitor in the cast. Yeah. And you and your dad co-created, uh, you and Michael uh, developed Dead Zone as a series from the original movie. And yeah. Nikki DeBoer was in that cast too. Yeah. So, uh, and then wrote and directed so those shows and a few others. Um, yep. Uh, so yeah, that's it. Awesome. <laughs> I have to. I have to talk to Sandra next time I see her at a convention. We were just uh, booth mates at a convention. You need to get to a convention. I'm working on it. I'm working. On it. I was. I want to. I want to take more time to go do some some panels and stuff because I love it and uh, I I love uh, I love talking about uh, sci-fi. I love talking about Star Trek and I love talking about Stephen King and I. You know, trying to make my mom cry. That's my goal. It's kind of well, sad. Well, I that's think, what I do. Uh, yeah, that's all good. Um, and you've got, and I want to ask you about your actual stories. There's, you have three credits on, on actual Star Trek, but, sure. um, uh, but I was going to say, but when you were at those cons, I think you need to, uh, like I said, you're, there, there's not a lot of folks. We, there are a lot of folks that worked with Michael. Talk about, you ran mm -hmm. through the writing room there and Rick mm -hmm. and all the rest of them, but to know him the way you did and to see and to be old enough to watch what happened in the family and how, I mean, how did it change his life? Really? I mean, he, you, you saw him working on other shows. Like you mentioned Miami vice and I know he's on Simon and Simon and Simon and, and Simon. Yeah. yeah. No, I think, you know, it was fun. I remember, you know, his early days, he was, when I first, when they got married, he had, a great, he had an incredible, he was a censor. He had his music yep. side. I mean, he was a really well-rounded guy besides just well, being a TV absolutely. writer guy. He, uh, he was a network, at, uh, an exec at, C at CBS. He was a censor, the, low, the worst job in the business, they like to say. Um, but I remember he was working on Dukes of Hazard, And I remember 
as an eight-year-old boy going down. It was my favorite show at the time. And he took me down and I got to sit in the General Lee. I got to meet Bo and Luke. And then, you know, I meet Daisy and I'm eight. And this is just when I'm sort of discovering my body. <laughs> like you're learning how everything works. And I was like, oh my God, it's Daisy Duke. And she comes around the corner and I, and I freak out because she, she looks to an eight-year-old boy that she has plastic robot legs. And I go, I'm like, what's wrong with her legs, dad? She's got fake legs. And she heard me say that. And she comes up and she goes, oh, these are just nylons. They're just real dark nylons. That's why these nylons, if you don't want to see my legs without these nylons. And I was like, oh, since then I've never liked nylons. But the, um, <laughs> it, was, it was an interesting thing to, to meet years later, uh, John Schneider on a plane. I was with um, the cast of Smallville. I was flying, I was doing the dead zone and they were doing Smallville. And my dad was sick at the time. And John said to me, um, he said, you know, I'm sorry your dad's sick. I hope he pulls out of it, but I got to tell you something about my dad. And of course, I'm crying on the plane now because he's mm-hmm. telling me a wonderful story. He said, uh, your dad was the only network executive at CBS that cared what we thought about the scripts. And we were, when we had notes to try to make them better, your dad would come down and sit with us and take the notes back to the writers and we would try to make the scripts better. And, and, you know, and I was like, that's pretty cool. And I'm crying. Tom Welling's crying. We're all crying. And, uh, it was very sweet of him to say that. Um, but he, you know, he cared about writers and he cared about actors and he cared about trying to make good stories. And that was, that was a, it was an interesting thing to see him go from Dukes of Hazard to, uh, you know, he said, I, I want to be a writer. And he, quit his job and my mom went back to work being a secretary and supported him for a year while he you know he had some money saved up but i remember that i think i was nine at that point and uh he started writing and and his he said his scripts weren't very good and and then he finally got a script that was good enough to share and he sent to barney rosenzweig who gave him a i think a it was either the hulk or simon uh or a cagney and lacy or something. And he wrote an episode and then he never looked back. And then he got his job on Simon and Simon, which he became the story editor. And he was the guy nowadays, you know, I think it trained him to be a showrunner, frankly, but he was the guy at the typewriter who would, all the writers would walk around him and pitch jokes and talk about things. And he would do the typing uh-huh. and be like, all right, that's a good line and type it. And then, and then go do print it out and go, here's the script. And then they'd all give notes on it. And then he would do the typing. So that was that was Phil Daguerre and that was um there was a bunch of writers that he that were his mentors uh that made him you know into the writer he was and learned how to manage people and learn how to run a tv show and yeah and he so he started at the bottom and like Drake well whether you know (laughs) your dad's his legacy is whether he was mentoring young professionals or mentoring his radical open script submission policy. It was a survival tactic in the beginning. They needed right. to have, have it come in. That's yeah. what he's uh, kind of meant for. So I, I will at least ask you the beginning, this first credit you had, your story credit or material for Journey's End, which is sure. final wow. season, next generation. What's the, I mean, I, did you I, say, I, was it more about, hey, dad, I want to do a Star Trek and you're, you're there, get me in the door. <laughs> or did he look at you and say, son, it's time you tried. Th-. I mean, what was the it, dynamic? It, uh, it was not that at all. So I went <laughs> to, there was my girlfriend at the time, Antonia Napoli, Antonia Napoli. She, I met her, uh, at, uh, a restaurant and we started dating and she was going to USC film school and I was trying to get into USC film school. I went to San Francisco state first 
Um, I got into NYU and I got into San Francisco State. So it was like Francis Ford Coppola, California, staying close to home. That was that his his son was his brother was the head of that film school. And I actually didn't get into USC in, in, as a freshman year. So Roddenberry's letter got me into NYU and San Francisco State, but not USC. Wow. Um, but I did. So I went away to school, came back, and then I went to LACC for a year and I got straight A's there and I nailed it. And I took some film classes and then I submitted an application with Gene Roddenberry and all the people to USC. And I got in my, my, my junior year or my, yeah. Um, and I forgot where I was going with the story. So journey's end. Oh, journey's end. So yes, my, uh, uh, my girlfriend, by the time I got into USC had just graduated USC and she was, you know, trying to get into the business. And I said, you know, my dad started this, uh, writer's internship program. It's for women, people of color, and white men over 40. You're, you're a woman. <laughs> you should submit. You have a degree. You went to USC. You, you have a bunch of credits working on music videos and stuff that we were doing back then. And so she submitted it and, uh, and got in. So she got a paid internship for six weeks. And at that end of that internship, she got to pitch an episode. And she goes, I don't have any Star Trek ideas. I mean, I, I like the show and I get it but I don't, I don't, I don't have any ideas. And I said, I got a million ideas for Star Trek. What are you talking about? She's like, well, I can have a writing partner. Let's go. Let's, if you have any ideas. And, and I was like, well, when's your pitch? She said, Monday. I was like, great. I'll think. So Sunday I, I was like, okay. So I came up with 10 ideas, um, with, with her together. And, uh, and we went in to pitch Jerry Taylor and it was Antonia Napoli. We went down to the Hart Building. We went right into past Gene Runberry's office, down to Gary Taylor's office, which was right next to uh, what was uh, Michael's office at that point. And I pitched Jerry, and she hated nine of the episode ideas I pitched. It was literally like nothing. And then we got to the end, and I said, "What if there?" The pitch was, "What if there's um, a group of indigenous?" Um, humans that uh that finally colonize their own planet and it ends up on some border between the federation and someone and they go and they say you guys got to move and the indians go go fuck yourself we're not moving <laughs> and uh and that and and she goes i like that sold write me up five pages by uh friday and we were like Ooh. so i want and that so it's my second meeting at paramount boom sold my first story and uh and that was it and then and then uh, ron moore wrote all the traveler stuff so i really didn't have anything to do with the traveler stuff other than i was a big fan um so we we really focused right. on the indigenous part of the story and then the wesley in the picard start uh picard part and came right. up with the stuff about it being his ancestors and sort of the ancestors and the sins of the father um and i think i might have had just seen dances with wolves um, or I'd watched, you know, I'd, in film school, I, I had watching something of, uh, about, you know, indigenous, you know, people and, uh, and, and, and the oppression that they had faced under the, the U.S. military. And, it, you know, my heart was bleeding mm. for that. And I, and that became the story that they picked about the animus. Yeah. That was where it came from. Yeah. Uh, Sean, you know, you have been staying, you've been hiding away in Canada way too long. We have got to get you back. You, we got to get you some cons. We've got to get you back. Um, we're out of time here, but sometime down the road, let's have you back on. 
Can you do that? Would love to. Love okay. talking about Gene, love talking about Star Trek, and always love talking about my dad. I was going to say, I, I, you know, we're getting to a point where, I mean, because I, I, I knew your dad, and he helped yeah. me when I was first out here in writing and was so helpful. And uh, the years are going by, and a lot of our newer fans don't know your dad and don't see his product. Or, and even, you know, people look at credits only, and you've got to think again about who he mentored and what he mm-hmm. revolutionized there for, for the industry and all of his his writing progeny that's out there now anyway. But anyway, so thanks once again for coming by, and we'll we'll do this again sometime. My pleasure. Okay, thanks, Sean. Take care, Larry. Yeah, thanks. Hey, everybody, The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. And all of our documents that we talk about and discuss, as well as your chance to comment, are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Uh, that's me, at larrynimacek.com. That's where you can also link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop, too. Truck well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.